0: My name is Ronika Jacobs, and you found my podcast, Strive for More, Your Best Life Now. While there are hundreds of thousands of podcasts out there, you've taken the time out to listen to this one. So for that, I would like to say thank you. So without any further delay, let's get to it. Let's strive for more.
1: My next guest, Russell Thackeray, is helping people try for more in the area of organizational leadership and development. Dr. Thackeray works with leaders and their organizations to achieve enhanced performance and results. By aligning culture, leadership, and people, he can spark, design, and embed change that creates organizational resilience. The result is a reduction of personal drama and an increase in mental and emotional personal resilience. In this episode, he will explain how improvement and accountability of process, relationships, finances, and systems is achieved as a reduction in burnout for both the organization and individuals. Hi, Russell. Welcome. Thank you so much for being a guest on my show. How are you?
2: Hey, thanks very much for having me. I'm very much looking forward to our our conversation. And I'm really good today. It's chilly and a crisp autumn day, so... uh, I've got my big I've got my big cardigan on. I'm just looking forward to a good conversation.
1: Oh, I'm so jealous. So over here, because I know you're you're in Ireland, correct?
2: Well, I'm in the UK, actually, south of oh, between in well, okay. a place called Southampton on the south coast of England.
1: Ah, okay, got it. All right. So, how did you get involved in organizational development or organizational leadership?
2: Well, my own background is multifunctional. I actually started my life as a professional musician, and I experienced all different forms of leadership, actually, by working as an orchestral musician, working in West End or Broadway shows, working in uh, freelance soloist type uh, capacities. The the idea of technocratic leadership, or leadership based on excellence, based on being the first amongst equals, was sort of something I began to understood. Working in music or performing arts, conducting and sorts of things like that, you allow yourself to be able to become a sort of more facilitative leader by waving your arms around and getting people to do things for you. And then I went into the corporate world and worked in sales and marketing. I became a CEO of a large legal firm and really understood the differences between this idea of leadership, management and the different styles of leadership. And then went on to run a business, sell a business, but also become an organizational culture consultant as well, allows me to see the problems, see the opportunities, see the structural issues from all sorts of different perspectives. And I think it's about blending different types of experience and working with different types of organization that you see the things that make organizations and people different and the things that bind us together and actually create great commonality of purpose.
1: Wow, that is amazing, Doctor Zachary. And you know, in in speaking of leadership, it's as of this whole entire year, the world, every leader, and really pretty much every person, but I feel like every leader has been tested from a macro level to a micro level, and because as a result of the pandemic, and I think that leadership has really been put. To the
2: test, right? Would you agree with that? Yes, I do agree with that. But I also think that management's been put to the test as well because management's about getting things done and leadership sometimes about having the right direction. And you might argue at the moment that they're in, we're in the middle of a crisis and what we actually want as leaders who can use their ingenuity, their people management skills to actually get the best out of people sitting in front of them and getting to do the right job and sometimes you have people who are in our country who are furloughed who have been moved to one side and actually what you have is a lot of people who are left doing the jobs of many others and we have to get greater productivity from those people and so sometimes we have to recognize the leader that we have to also throw ourselves into the mix as well and get on and roll our sleeves up and do the job ourselves And, and I think never more have leaders needed to be more flexible and more adaptable. And I think the, the traditional view of leadership has been this somehow this esoteric, high-flying, almost theoretical role has actually vanished and has become much more practical in a sense i think that's probably in fact the i'm writing a book at the moment it's going to be called fluid leadership and it's this idea you've got to be able to sometimes set direction but sometimes you've got to be able to get down and get into the trenches with the people around you and and fight the fight the battles with them as well you can't afford to be standing on the side sometimes directing operations all the time
1: well i would agree with you russell because As you know, I shared with you that I'm an assistant principal in a school, and, you know, the frustrations that I have received from our educators, our teachers on campus, have been, you know, the frustration with the Internet connection, trying to navigate a blended learning model with students coming back and and with some students remaining online the, the technical structure, the technology, you know, failing yeah. and trying to keep that current while trying to maintain a rigorous academic curriculum. But I can say that I'm not really on the outside understanding those issues and concerns because even as a leader trying to hold our staff meetings, I'm dealing with some of the same issues, you know, trying to make sure our yeah. technology works consistently making sure our you know the internet connection is sound to accommodate the numbers of people who need to be on the meeting trying to navigate multiple people being on a meeting you know everyone talking at the same time constantly changing our direction constantly having to change our systems because we are trying to adapt because you know we have these new guidelines from here in the states we have you know the CDC and what stands for Center for Disease yeah. Control and, you know, just trying to, you know, make sure our students are socially distanced. But I'm elementary, so it's kind of hard to kind of navigate students wear the mask, not wear the mask. But, yeah, so I can say leadership as well as management. And just you're, I, I totally agree with you that I, I really have, and along with my principal, we really have had to have the ingenuity yeah, to get the best out of our people because they are stressed. <laughs> they are stressed. Yeah.
2: It's marvellous in a funny sort of way because we might argue that actually we were due a recession because you know the cycles of the market often say that you know you know what every eight years economically there tends to be a slowdown in the marketplace, and we were seeing slowdowns in retailers the internet started to really sort of show its mettle in terms of online retail and such like. We also saw online learning taking off. And and what COVID has done is actually taken about three years' worth of change and just simply condensed it into four or five months. And actually, what we're now seeing, certainly in our country, is a recession, potentially even a depression. And actually, great leaders are sort of forged in the heat of battle. And I think what we're going to see is... A real divulgence, no, a real sort of separation between those that make it, or those that get it, and those that fall by the wayside. And I think what we're going to see now is that some of the learning that we've been propagating in our world, in organizational design and behavior, such like for the last 30 years, it's sort of broken and it's not really relevant. And we're going to figure out this next stage together. And actually, those people that do are the people who are going to really drive things forward. It doesn't matter. and the, And the sort of democracy of that is. It doesn't matter if you're 18 or 19 and you're fresh into university or college, or if you're 73 and you just had a brilliant idea. I think now is the time where ideas are, can really start to take hold because because actually everything's everything's condensing, isn't it? Just as you say, the internet's changing everything. Some of us, I was talking to a colleague, a client of mine recently, and they were saying they work in a German organisation. It's very very traditional, very engineering-focused. And it would normally take two years to leave with an IT system. And they did it in six days. And actually, people are now starting to make decisions. People are now starting to manage, mitigate risk in, in a innovative way. People are now starting to trust people's potential and say, well, actually, if you think that, let's get on with it. Because we haven't got that six times to six hours or six months or six years to get consensus sometimes you've just got to make decisions and get on with it and i think sometimes i think we're now going to start seeing the returns of this slightly more exciting time of leadership i know it's, we're being forged in difficulty but actually that's sometimes where the best changes take place you look at all the recessions depressions before and periods at the end of wars end of other pandemics and great innovation can come from that. So it's also, whilst it's a time of pressure and stress, it's a time of great hope as well.
1: Wow, thank you so much, Dr. Zachary, and for your perspective on that. Now, COVID aside, worldwide pandemic aside, how does a yes. leader determine or assess that their organizational structure is broken or has gone awry? Of course, the people within it, that's their employees or their staff or their team, of course, they can feel it. But for whatever reason, the leader <laughs> sometimes cannot feel it. Yeah. So what are some yeah. key signs they can look for?
2: Well, the first thing is that uh, the structure is not delivering the, this, the change that's required. So if you think about it, an organization sets a strategy and then it determines a structure and then it fits people into the structure. What happens in most organizations is that after a while you've got lots of different people and actually the structure has now become the sum total of the people that you have and it doesn't always meet the needs of the strategy. And if you think about it in the traditional sense, every single year people's targets go up. There's usually actually a revenue increase or a cost reduction target or a, a learning increment or you know the, the world gets you know, more uh, faster, quicker, slicker every single year. And so what you find is that the strategy is not being achieved and so we have to lean the organisation we have to make it slick we have to make it that the processes work more efficiently and what you'll notice is that the structure is getting in the way because people are doing the wrong jobs in the wrong way you usually find that people are getting miserable and because actually what's happening is that they're no longer actually doing the jobs they thought they were doing because often what we find is the structure is evolving slower than the people and the actual jobs that they're required to do and then someday you know one day you wake up and go hey a minute you know i'm a grade six and i'm doing the job of a grade three so when did that happen you know i've looked at my job description de- description recently and you know why am i reporting to this person and not that person because i never see them and you know so you you get these discontinuities with people and the and their need to and their ability to actually just deliver what they have to deliver
1: Yes, no, I couldn't agree with you more. So then, what are the key components to a well-run organization?
2: Well, now there's a question. Pretty well everything's the same, isn't it? You need to have a clear idea of where you're going. You've got to be able to sort of scan the horizon to know where you're going. And then you've got to be able to seize an opportunity, create an organization that allows you to actually have the slack or the capability to get there and you've got to have the people systems and processes in place to be able to do what's necessary and then critically you've got to evaluate your results just check about what you think you're doing is taking in the right direction and I mean, and if you don't have any of those pieces in the right place you you won't be doing well if you've got the the business model that fits the wrong mar- market you've got a problem if you've got people who have insufficient skills you've got a problem if you have archaic processes that don't allow you to maximize what's going on in the marketplace, you've got a problem. So you've got all these these moving parts. It's a bit like a kaleidoscope. I don't know if you have a kaleidoscope where, where you are, but it's like a long tube with bits and pieces floating around. And if you hold it up and you jiggle it around, eventually a picture comes into shape. And and, right. and that's what an organization's like, isn't it? It's like a bunch of moving parts that when they all click into shape, suddenly the whole thing works. And, and that's what and, and interestingly enough, is of course, often one of the biggest components is just the people element because you need leaders who are moving forward, leaders who are developed, and leaders who are not so terrified of making decisions that they can actually get on and do the job that they're hired to do. And that's a problem because in many organizations, leaders are critically disempowered by the organizational structure or by the shareholders or by the contacts in which they're working.
1: No, I couldn't agree with you more That that. Yes, when things click into shape, everything does work, and it works really well. So yeah. then in that, how do you create a sound vision or a strong mission for your organization? Because I feel like if you set the the vision or and everyone knows what is the intended vision or mission of, of the organization, I mean, I think that's a good starting point. So how do you do that?
2: This is a great question because I think this is one of the – one of the things which were which i think in five years time we won't be talking about anymore because i think this is very much i mean this this idea came out of business process reengineer in the 1990s this idea of mission and vision and and it was part of a strategic planning model and i think you know ultimately an organisation has a purpose now organisational purpose has sort of changed and originally organisations were there because actually they were they were a way an efficient way of maximising shareholder revenue weren't they you pump your money into organisations, you've got a great return. But now we've got the rise of the social enterprise. We've got the rise of very many more small businesses. We've got the rise of blended businesses, which, which are collaboration between the stock market and the community. Sometimes you've got community charitable organisations. And I think this idea of purpose is going to come back to the fore. And it's much more a clear purpose based not on what the return is from the organisation, but actually what the organisation there for. So, you know, what you're trying to figure out is what's missing if you don't have that organization? And I think most organizations don't think about that. They actually think very grandiosely about what they're there to achieve. But actually, who cares? I mean, lots of people can achieve that. And so what you're attempting to figure out is if we weren't here, what wouldn't happen? And if we weren't here, what wouldn't happen in a way that only we can do? We need to go back to this idea of what we originally called Core competence, which is the thing that sets us apart from everybody else. And core competence has been corrupted by organizational development to be the thing that makes us the same as everything else. Organizations, by their necessity, by their by their very function, are about creating difference from somebody else. Now, in some areas, that's not true because, of course, you might find in your world that actually you want to be very similar to other schools in different areas because you have shared communities of practice and so you all want to get better together. But in the, say, retail sector or automotive or manufacturing or pharmaceuticals, you are very much looking at what sets you apart, what makes you different. And so I think we're going to move away from these variable mission statements which actually have usually been created by consultants. I've actually seen, you know, I've actually been into two or three different organizations in my life and they've had identical mission statements. I mean, it's almost as if the same consultants just, you know, chipped the nail, you know, the words into their sort of stone portico and just changed the name of the organization over the top of it. And I think we become bland because we're all using tools like visions and missions. We need purpose and how we're going to achieve it. And let's just simplify things and get there. What the Internet's proved to us is that the the half-life of organizations is going to be very, very much quicker than, than it's ever been before. And so we really need to innovate faster and get away from this grandiose idea that we're going to be here for the next 50 years doing the same thing in the greatest way possible. Actually, part of what we've got to do over the next couple of years is just survive. And that's exciting, isn't it? How exciting is that? Know, maybe the, no, it actually maybe the, is just
1: staying above water. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, I mean, how
2: many, how many really worthwhile organizations are going to go out of business? Are they going to stop trading? Are they going to stop, you know, del- you know, operating? Because actually, they just, they just weren't ready. You know, they're just not. They're just too busy. Worrying about visions and missions instead of just saying, you know what, we just it's the old idea, you know, in a canoe, you don't really need to worry direction, you know, which direction you're going. If you've got a hole in the bottom, you just got to get the water out faster. And then one person's got to be thinking, actually, how do we think innovatively about what we do about this? And then, but you don't need to be thinking, where am I going six months in the future? Sometimes, I mean, someone does, obviously, and, and it's different, isn't it? If you're running a small family firm. And there's you and three brothers and your wife helping you, whatever it might well be. It's different to being a pan-galactic PLC. And I think sometimes when we use terms like visions and missions and purpose statements you know, that stuff, it's often the preserve of, or the preserve of big organizations. You know, if you're running a small engineering firm, I've got a friend of mine who's just set up a business making brownies. She's not the slightest bit interested in all those things. She just wants to make a great there's brownies that no one else can make, and then she wants to sell them, and she wants to make people happy because they're eating her brownies, and she's just quite like to keep her head above water because, really, she runs a school, but the school's not open, so she's turned her hand to something else. That's so inspirational, I think.
1: Yes, I can totally understand that. With my stripe for More podcast, that's kind of what happened with me. I started out as a solo cast, and I was just doing episodes by myself, and then the pandemic happened, and I'm an extreme extrovert, (laughs) so I couldn't Ah. interact with people. And then I started hosting guests in June, and it has brought just, you know, something out of me that I didn't even know existed and was there. And I have met wonderful people such as yourself and all around the world. And, you know, I have brought, in a sense, since I'm an educator – I had still, I'm still educating people, right? I'm helping to yeah. have, I have this conduit right. to help people learn things still mm-hmm. and motivate them at the same time. So, And I, mm-hmm. I appreciate you being a part of that. Now, I know a couple of people have opinions and perspectives on what leadership is and what's the best thing that a leader can do for their employees or their teams. So I, I'm very interested in your perspective on what's the very best thing a leader can do for their employees or for their team?
2: That is a great question. Now, I'm not going to say it depends, even though it does. But you've got to decide where you're going, you've got to get out of the way, and then you've got to give people feedback. And for me, leaders rarely do those three things. They very rarely know what they want. They spend far too much time interfering and micromanaging. And they don't say what needs to be said because they have this quite peculiar modern fear of hurting people's feelings. And that, I think, is the simplest way I can sum that up.
1: Wow. I, I know that feedback <laughs> is the area where I struggle in. I know the direction, you know, and I don't mind getting out of the way but then remembering to give feedback and, and not necessarily remembering to give feedback, but the timely manner <laughs> in giving feedback because so many things are always happening. And I know for me, I, that's an area where I've got to get better is in the, in the timing of my feedback because, you know, it, it is really impactful and it really means a lot because sometimes the time and the moment has passed to give the feedback and it's no longer relevant.
2: Yeah, and uh, and as someone's judging you because you have you have deprived them of their feedback. And I think a lot of managers worry that feedback is difficult, which it isn't, which it is uh, wrong or is going to be taken badly, which it very rarely is. And I always think of four types of feedback audits you could run. So, so the first one is, you know, what challenging feedback have you had or have you given to stretch someone to do better? Because actually lots of people think that feedback is always a negative thing, but actually the challenging thing is about how do you get people's potential and really, really push them. So you know what I've found in my life? More people are bored to death than scared to death at work. More people rusting rather than stressed, and the signs of rust and stress are the same. More people have unexploited potential than over, overworked potential. People are often more overworked because they've got too much to do that's boring, repetitive, and dull than actually because they're overly stimulated. So that's a great question to ask. Another another bit of feedback is what have you given or had that suddenly opened up new possibilities? I mean, imagine getting feedback that made you think about something completely differently. What timely feedback have you had that kept you on track? Because actually, the job of a leader and manager is to keep people moving in the right direction. And again, if we're frightened to give te- feedback, what happens is that people get off in direction. Then we end up with conflict because the people will say, "Legitimate. Well, why didn't you tell me earlier? If you, especially if you could see it. Why didn't you tell me earlier?" So, you know, it's one of the greatest gifts we have as leaders to stand back, and not get it into, not a, not to get in the way, but to still give the feedback. And then, key is that last bit of what challenging feedback have you had or given that you needed but not necessarily wanted. And I think that's one of the other key things of leadership. We've got to be able to tell people what they need to hear. And and we do that in an adult way. So basically that we're not bending people out of shape, but also we're not worried about hurting their feelings because we have to treat people as adults. And when we start to treat people as if their feelings are going to be hurt, we're actually treating them like children. And there's nothing more disrespectful than treating adults like children. And if you treat people adults like children, it's strange how they start acting like children as well, acting up and acting out. So, for me, the the feedback thing is so important. And again, you know, I used to work in an orchestra where or performing arts where you get feedback all the time. It's, it's all the time. You know, if you're if you're out of sync with somebody else, you know straight away. If you if you stand out, everybody everybody notices. You learn to blend in. If you need to stand out, you stand out. And and this is the thing most people have had had very little development in this area. And so, in fact, people go on training courses and they leave the training courses and they're sort of practicing with live ammunition. And I think we undervalue the the benefits of feedback because we get too frightened that people are going to take it badly rather than just saying, well, actually, people will take it how they wish because it's a choice. That is we say in the first place.
1: Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And I've heard this term. so. Of course there's the you have your the leadership and the leader of a team and they're managing people down and leading but then I was introduced to this term maybe about almost 10 years ago of learning that you got to learn how to manage up. Yeah. So and I never even thought you could do something like that. So for the for the listeners and for those out there who've never heard of managing up and did not even know, you know, that you could actually manage your boss or manage your supervisor. Can you explain that and what that means and the best way to do it?
2: Well, your definition is exactly what I'd say. In a sense, what you're doing when you're managing up is you're influencing or managing by using the sort of management and influencing skills that are required. And it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because when we're managing up, what is it we're really doing? Are we implying, actually, that we're not being managed properly? So we're actually demonstrating to our managers how to manage properly by giving them feedback? We could be. Are we actually... Protecting our managers back by giving them information that makes them look good and protects our role in the organisation? We could be. Are we managing or helping them manage the politics by giving them an ear to to the ground so they actually understand what's going on? And of course, the answer is all those things. But what we're really doing when we're managing up is we're sort of indirectly and directly influencing people our managers to be able to do something that needs to be done that they can't necessarily understand or have the confidence to influence themselves and for me managing a present is a really important part of your job because part of it is about demonstrating your readiness to actually step forward and be Trusted more heavily, perhaps work in more projects, uh, get great visibility in the organization. But often, what you're doing is you're giving your managers and leaders the back end to do what they need to do in order for you to do your job. And you shouldn't need to manage up much if you already have a good manager or leader. And you often find that poor managers need a lot more managing up because actually they're not doing what needs to be done.
1: Well, hopefully those people out there who have been frustrated with their bosses or supervisors yeah. or managers, you know, they can be, be current, be courageous enough to attempt to manage up. Not that they're trying to control their boss or tell their boss, either, right? Like, like I'm, you don't know what you're doing. So I'm going to, you know, tell you, but just anticipate. And I, cause I have recognized that just as you said, managing up really is about anticipation mm-hmm. just to help the manager, and essentially do their job and make
2: the department. That's a a really interesting way because your your way of saying that was really interesting, which was, hey, you're not doing your job, step up. But, you know, you could say something like, hey, here's a word to the wise, I don't know if you realized. Or, hey, you're not getting the best out of me. Here's three things you could do that would help. Because, you know, sometimes managers aren't crystal ball readers. And actually it takes two to tango in, in the management employee conundrum, doesn't it? It's not all about the leader and what the leader does. You know, everybody's yeah, got accountability, haven't they? And it's, you know, we often, I often find that the trickiest place of all is to be in an organization is in the middle because you're in the middle. You don't get much praise and reward and recognition from your leader. And then you get all the aggravation of people, you know, that you're managing. And actually it's the management peer group in, you know, like the middle of a slice of cake, the sort of jam in the middle of a sandwich. It's that group that is squeezed the tightest and they're the people that actually need to manage up to push their leaders higher to give them the sort of headroom to be able to do their own job. So there's no harm in saying, "Hey, let me tell you something you might not know," or "Hey, this is something you could do that would get more from your team." Because actually, if someone said that to me, I'd listen. But if someone said, "Hey, you do you don't know what you're talking about, and you know I'm going to let let me show you how it's done round here." I might be tempted to stand back and say, "Well, there you will rush through that doorway angels fear to tread and see how that works for you."
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can understand that. Now, uh-huh. in organizational structure, one of the downfall and destruction of organizations is conflict, <laughs> and it can just really dismantle a really great organization. And I mean, you know how sometimes tiny disagreements or misalignments can turn into huge ones and just really tear things apart so what are some strategies managers can use for conflict resolution before it gets too out of hand
2: well first of all i think conflict's great but it depends on the type of conflict you're talking about so if people are punching each other in the face at work that's not useful conflict but for me if you have people with different views, different opinions, different perspectives, you're going to get disagreement. And creativity comes from that sort of disagreement. Professional disagreement is very, very healthy. So, for example, I once remember working in a, in the media, and it was, it was 4, 4 p.m. in the afternoon, and it was a newspaper, and the newspaper needed to roll at 4 p.m., so then all the pe- presses started rolling. This is a while ago. And then the distribution network started rolling, and, and two people were arguing over one word on page 37 of the newspaper. And there was a heated row. They were standing two inches apart from each other and screaming at each other. And uh, one person made a decision and then boom, they both walked away, quite happy, no animosity. And I said, how did that work? He said, nothing we said was personal. It was purely professional difference. And I became quite interested in that idea. And actually, for me, I measure organisations. I measure the amount of diversity they have on the amount of positive conflict which is going on. Now, here's the thing. When conflict gets personal, if I start calling you names, well, I'm treating you like a child. If I've treated like a child all the time, then you're going to take more of my professional challenge as a parental sort of insult. So actually... If you're getting that sort of pushback, what it's telling me as a leader is I'm treating you too much like a child and I need to help you grow up. Diversity, conflict is good and we need to stop talking about it if it's bad. What we just need to watch out for doesn't become personal. I mean, your statement before was, hey, you're doing a terrible job, you're a terrible person. You know, that's going to get conflict. Hey, this is what you're doing which is affecting me in a negative way is a different conversation. How can we, you know, what can you do to change that? Let's have those sorts of conversations. Let's start stepping up and actually talking about the differences in our teams as well as the similarities. Where, you know, if we've got to have this white hot heat of creativity coming, we're gonna to have to harness that conflict. We're gonna to have to get much more comfortable with people disagreeing. And here's the problem. You need resilience to do that. And we sort of bred resilience of the workforce because we've come to a situation where we all have to be so happy and so careful and so non-confrontational, but we've lost that innovation and, and natural human ability to disagree politely. I mean, I see it over here in the sorts of political de- debates which happen, happening. I've, I've seen it very much in what's going on over in your part of the world, is that we have people who stand on one side of a fence and yell, and another people stand on the other side of a fence and yelling at each other, and all we do is yell. We don't step forward and listen to each other's perspective and go, do you know what? Given that we both want the same way, how do we actually begin to combine some of our sort of core strategies and move together? So we can use difference to drive us apart, and we can use difference to drive us, uh, pull us together. And what matters is the person in the middle who's not frightened. Of having, the, of having those robust conversations. And my own personal view on this is that we need to stop calling conflict a difficult thing. And as soon as we begin to do that, we start to re-empower ourselves to say, okay, then if conflict's just about difference, how do we manage that difference? Because real conflict is actually about punching each other in the face. And really, that doesn't happen that much at work, really. I mean, it does some places, but you know, there are not many of us who are boxers.
1: Right. Well, if it does ever happen to any anyone out there, any of the listeners out there, well, hey, maybe that's not the place where you need to be working. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. Well, Dr. Thackeray, you know, this has been an awesome, awesome conversation. I hate to, you know, see that we're out of time, but I do have one last question, and that question is, who is your favorite superhero and why?
2: Well, my favorite superhero is number five let's just say he can travel in time and what could be better than that
1: (laughs) absolutely (laughs) absolutely well thank you so much for your time i really appreciate you can you do me a favor can you take the time to let everyone know how they can seek your services for you know organizational coaching and organizational leadership coaching in any of your workshops
2: that's very kind, yes. You're, well, my website is qedod.com com. You can catch me on LinkedIn at Russell Fackere. I have my podcast as well that's called Resilience Unraveled which is all about the subject resilience and burnout and they're the best ways to get in touch with me and you're always welcome to drop me a line and I'm always happy to if anyone's got any simple questions that they just want a quick um, response to you're more than welcome to drop me a line drop me an email have a conversation. I'm out there on social media the reason I'm out there is to help people that need a quick answer to things. So do feel free.
1: Well, that's amazing. Any last words of encouragement for the listeners as they strive for more?
2: This is our moment. This really is. If you're relieved, we're going to look back on this moment in five years' time and go, look at what we did. Look at what we achieved. We took risks. We didn't get daunted. We didn't talk ourselves down. We didn't disable ourselves by telling ourselves how broken we were. We all clubbed together and we made great things happen. This class, this class of 2020 in five years' time will be looked back on as the defining moment of a generation. And we were part of it. So let's go out and do it.
1: Well, Dr. Thackeray, I wish you nothing but blessings and abundance to you and your family. Please take care and continue to strive for more.
2: Thank you so much. It's been a joy.
0: Are you interested in growing your business? Then send me an email at strive at email.com. You can advertise and spotlight your business on one of my episodes. You can sponsor one episode or a targeted episode, or you can sponsor multiple episodes. I would be delighted to help you grow your business and expose your product or service to a brand new audience. Continue to strive for more and live your best life now. See you in the next episode.